Now this is how you break on a slant route. Will Johnson read it perfectly. He's one-on-one -on -one coverage. Watch how quickly he breaks right when he sees the foot in the ground from Purdue. He takes off into the inside and beats the wide receiver of the ball. All Sheffield can do then is become a defensive back and tackle him. And now that's two interceptions for the young Will Johnson. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, this is the Joel Klatt Show. I am Joel Klatt. Uh, good to be with you. Good to be back with you. Uh, let's get going on some of these bowl games. I know that, listen, you know, some people are like, hey, bowl season's no good anymore. Hey, who wants more football? I do, right? So uh, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for being a part of the show here in our first year. Remember uh, to subscribe, rate, review us, do all those fun things, um, and and make sure to continue to to follow us this offseason. Let's get into some of these games. I've got um, uh, some of the, the matchups that I that I like best uh, that I'm going to go over here. So let's start with the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. The Guaranteed Rate Bowl, Wisconsin versus Oklahoma State. So this is a game that each of these programs are going through a, a lot, actually, right now, total, outside of the game. That's obvious with Wisconsin. Uh, this is a program that will be transitioning to Luke Fickle. They've hired their new coordinators. Good hires, by the way. Phil Longo from North Carolina. They've obviously done a great job on the offensive side. Mike Trestle's going to come uh, with Fickle from Cincinnati and be the defensive coordinator, which means that this is the last game for Jim Leonard at Wisconsin. Um, I know that that's... That's hard for a lot of Wisconsin fans. You know, Jim Leonard has been a mainstay and he's a terrific coach. And a lot of people expected him to be the full-time coach. Now, they went in a different direction and, and that's, that's all well and good. Um, but this is going to be the last opportunity that he's going to have uh, to be a coach for Wisconsin, at least in the near future. You never know what happens uh, down the road in terms of his career and, and the trajectory of that program. Um, okay, so that doesn't really bear a lot of meaning in the actual game, but that's the backstory. That's the backing of what all these players are kind of uh, dealing with. And then you've got to get into the like the opt outs and the portal guys. That's hard, by the way, in this bowl season. And that's why, you know, breaking down these games, it's really difficult to get a sense of how these teams are go going to play or even where they're going to be strong because the numbers from the regular season aren't necessarily indicative of what you're going to see in the bowl game. So for instance, so for Wisconsin, Graham Mertz, their quarterback, and I know Wisconsin fans have been frustrated with Mertz at times, but he's going to be, uh, he's in, a, in the portal and is not going to play. They're really good nose tackle, Keanu Benton, uh, Nick Herbig, they've all opted out and they're going to be uh, going to the NFL. There's going to be four more guys that are opting out and training for the draft. Joe Tipman, uh, Jay Shaw is a starting corner. Their left guard, Tyler Beach. They've got another you know, depth guy as a defensive back, Justin Clark. So there's going to be a lot of guys that they don't have um, available for this game against Oklahoma State. There are going to be a couple of scholarship quarterbacks left. They've got an older guy, Chase Wolf, But then they've got this guy who's got a lot of potential, Miles Burkett. Now, between the two, they've only thrown 11 passes all year. So, not a lot of experience. But, again, this is kind of why bowl games are interesting now, right? And, and 
In the modern era of college football, as we get into the playoff, as we get into NIL and transfer portal and opt-outs being a thing, like these games morph and they change and what they become is more a peek into the future. And so when you look at it through that lens, Miles Burkett is interesting. He's He's got the higher ceiling. He won't burn his red shirt, by the way, by playing in this game. So I'm interested to see what he's got. And I think everybody with Wisconsin, I think Luke Fickle's interested to see what he's got. So we'll see if he gets a lot of run in this one. But regardless of how the quarterbacks play, we know that this team and this program, really, and we'll see if this is uh, continues under Luke Fickle, which I imagine it would, although with Phil Longo as the offensive coordinator, we'll see, it goes with their run game. You know, I'm kind of backing myself into like run game is always a priority for the Badgers. And Braylon Allen, obviously, is one of the better running backs in the country. He was second team all Big Ten, over 1,100 yards rushing. And as he goes, so goes the Badgers. So then you look at the opposite side of this and you've got Oklahoma State. So Oklahoma State is in a far different scenario, i.e. had a terrible finish to the season after really being right into it, they lost five of their last seven after starting five and oh, you know, this was kind of a typical Oklahoma state year. You think to yourself, okay, this is going to be a nine, 10 win team. And then it fell off the cliff, namely offensively. This is a team that was averaging. What was it? Almost 45 points per game through those first uh, five and, or really through the first seven games of the year. And then as Spencer Sanders health declined, their offensive production fell off a cliff. So you look at what they did in their last five games, 13 points per game, really 14, like 13 and a half. So call it, you know, 14 points per game. That is a wild departure from what we normally expect from a Mike Gundy led team and an Oklahoma State team in particular. They're going to have all sorts of trouble as far as the lineup goes. They've got 11 players that have entered the transfer portal, including Spencer Sanders, Dominic Richardson, their running back, starting linebacker Mason Cobb. I mean, 11 players is a lot. So, like, th- this, is a, this is a team that is in the middle of a complete identity shift. Maybe not from a schematics or play standpoint, but certainly from a roster standpoint. Even with a coach that has been there a long time and had a lot of success, this seems like a, a, a major inflection point. So, this game, while not vital to the health of the program will tell us a lot about where they're headed, uh, how they, how, how they've, they've recruited, excuse me, what their depth is like and, and where they're headed kind of in the future. Uh, one thing that's been very disappointing about Oklahoma state, not just their offensive production kind of falling down in the last five games, but their defense, their defense wasn't even close to what it was a year before. And, and in their defense, they were, a heavy senior-led veteran defense the year before. They had a coordinator in Jim Knowles that had been there a few years, and those guys really understood the defense. So this is a defense that last year in 2021, the year in which they almost won the Big 12 championship, they were fifth in college football, giving up under 290 yards per game. Pretty good, right? Jim Knowles goes to Ohio State. They get a a bunch of guys that graduate. And now this year, they gave up over 440 yards per game. That's 116th in college football. So a wild shift. So again, it, 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 it's in the same vein of what I was talking about, just kind of like, where is this program? I guess this game is going to give us a peek inside what the future is going to be for Mike Gundy and the Oklahoma State Cowboys. If I'm looking at this game just as a matchup perspective, 
you know, Braylon Allen is is the most known commodity. There there is a lot of excitement about the future for Wisconsin with Luke Fickle there. Uh, with Fickle kind of in the shadows, these players that are playing that haven't opt out and have not entered the transfer portal, there's going to be a huge incentive for them to play well and play hard uh, in order to gain the favor of the future coaching staff. So to me, this game leans Wisconsin pretty heavily, in particular with all the guys going in the portal for Oklahoma State, the way that their defense has been playing this year, giving up over 440 yards. You know, all of those things lead me to believe that this is a Wisconsin game, even though they're six and six and Oklahoma State is seven and five. Give me Wisconsin in the guaranteed rate bowl. All right, next up. The Holiday Bowl, number 15, Oregon versus North Carolina. Uh, expect some points in this one. Um, can't wait to get down to San Diego. In fact, um, a couple of, let's see, about a week ago, I went down to San Diego and, and was around all of their volunteers. This is the game we'll be covering, by the way. This is this is on Fox, 8 p.m., the 28th. Gus and I have the call. Jenny will be back, uh, which I'm excited for. Um, but the over-under in this game is 71 and a half, uh, at least, you know, when, when we're doing this review. And that's the highest of any bowl game. These two offenses are really good, very powerful. These two defenses have not played all that well. So over under super high. I'm inclined, by the way, to take the over in this game. Um, this game, unlike, uh, not unlike, I would say in the same vein as a lot of other games, there's some question marks about uh, who's going to be in the lineup. So let's go through kind of each team. So Oregon 9-3, and three, disappointing into their season Obviously, they were up, what was it, 31-10 with about, oh shoot, a little over three minutes to go in the third quarter against their rival, Oregon State. And then Oregon State proceeded to not throw a pass the rest of the game and come back and beat them. Um, some questionable calls, by the way, from Dan Lanning, and he did that earlier in the year against Washington as well and some fourth downs in his own territory. Um, I think we're all glad that Gus wasn't on the call because his his head would have exploded and then we would have had another analytics rant. And I don't know if I could have wiggled out of that one. So um, <laughs> we'll see how it goes uh, at the Holiday Bowl. Bo Nix does look like he's going to play. And I'm excited for that. I really like this Oregon team. I like Dan Lanning a lot. However, their, their offense coordinator is moving on. So Kenny Dillingham gets the job, and I think it was a good hire, by the way. He gets the job at Arizona State. And so now they're, they've gone and they've hired a guy that has been very under the radar but very good at UTSA, a big reason why UTSA has been, has been so good and had a great year, Will Stein. And so now Will comes in, and he's going to be the new offensive coordinator, and I think that that's a good fit, by the way. Um, so he's going to replace him. I, I do think it's, it's fascinating to me Thinking about Bo Nix, he's been around forever. He still can play another year. So this, this team has the ability, at least in my estimation, to kind of build forward through this holiday bowl. And, and that can be an important piece to the prep. Um, Nix had 42 total touchdowns. Uh, that was tied for third most in, in college football. 
Um, they do have some opt-outs, though. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, their really good corner, he declared for the draft and has opted out. Um, so, so that's someone that they're going to be missing in a game in which they're going to need a, a, a very solid pass defense when they're facing Drake May. So then you look at the opposite side in North Carolina. They went 9-4, and four, and it was a really disappointing end to the season for them as well. Uh, they did not play well in their last few games. Mac Brown is going for, by the way, this is a really cool element to this game. Mac Brown now in two different stints at North Carolina, basically in his 14th season as the North Carolina head coach, he's going for his 100th win at, at the school, which is really cool. And I love Mac and everyone loves Mac. So, um, you, you know, good luck to him in that. Phil Longo and Jack Bicknell, they are headed out of here. That's the offensive coordinator and uh, offensive line coach. For North Carolina, I already told you in that last bowl, Longo's headed to Wisconsin. Both of them are headed to Wisconsin. So now Drake May is going to be sitting there and, and he's going to be in the middle of a change of, of, of coordinator. He's the offensive player of the year in the ACC. Nobody threw the ball better than Drake May did down the field of, of throws 20 yards or more. And and this is a guy that that is looking at some really lofty records did you know he's only 348 total yards from breaking johnny manzel's freshman total offense record of a little over 5100 yards like this dude is really good i can't wait to watch this game play out now he is going to be without josh downs i think downs has been excellent for him two-time all acc wide receiver for them he's opted out and declared for the draft they've got other guys transfer portal uh tony grimes and and storm duck which by the way how does storm duck not play against the ducks right we're just missing out right at that point we're just totally missing out um cameron kelly he's entered the transfer portal it is interesting though and this is where like mac brown is just so so great he has told the guys in the portal in the portal actively they can still play in the game so Cameron Kelly has said he's going to. He's entered the portal, said he's going to play in the Holiday Bowl, said he just wants to try to help the team get to a 10th win. Um, and, and the way Mac Brown puts it is like, listen, if you do it right, right, if you're on the up and up about the transfer portal, then help us and we'll help you. And that's probably the way to navigate this thing because the last thing you want to do is, is do it through animus. Um Okay, now both of these defenses, I just said this earlier, they struggled this year. They struggled. They gave up way too many points. And both of them struggle in a very key area for this matchup, which is getting pressure on the quarterback. I'm concerned about each of these defenses because Knicks was only sacked four times. And that's an offense that if you let him just sit there, like they're, they're going to be really good. You know that they're going to run the ball. Their offensive line is tremendous. I really like Oregon's offensive line and the way that they physically kind of beat you up, but then take shots. UNC, if you don't get pressure on Drake May, he's going to eat you up. I don't care who's out there. Like he's, he's good enough that regardless of who's out there, a wide receiver, he's good enough to hurt you. So if one of these teams... Well, listen, if, if neither of them can produce any pressure on the opposite quarterback, then one, take the over, and here we go. This is a game that I think is going to have a ton of fireworks. I can't wait for this game. I'm not going to give a pick because I'm calling it, but that's that's the key. Which defense can affect the quarterback 
the most and and get to him, uh, cause him problems. And then what are we going to have as far as skill position players on the outside after opt outs and and portal? So that's where that game is going to be won and lost. All right, next up. The Cheez-It Bowl, Oklahoma versus number 13, Florida State. So weird game. How often do you see like six and six against nine and three? You don't often see that. Generally speaking, you see teams that are, you know, have a have a similar finish. Um, OU. Oh my goodness. OU, OU. So let's just start with OU. Prior to the year, OU fans were so upset with me. And the reason being is like I thought that they would take a major step back this year. I thought it was going to be more along those lines of of those two years with Stoops where they were, I think they were eight and five in two different years. And I said, like, I, I think, you know, listen, they lost their coach. They lost all, all these players off of the defense and the offense and the portal. And I just thought it was going to be too much to overcome, even with the positive sentiment of bringing back kind of a favorite son and Brent Venables, even with getting Dylan Gabriel. Um, and that's exactly what panned out. However, they, they, they duped us. Maybe that's the wrong word, but like they drew us in with that win over Nebraska. I was there. Gus was there for a half. And like Nebraska played so awful in that game. They made me believe in Oklahoma. I didn't know what that team was before that game. And then they just housed Nebraska. I thought that their offense looked explosive. Their defense looked fast. They were tackling well. I thought to myself, well, okay, if they can play like that, well, then this is this is a team that can absolutely win the Big 12. And they're going to make a, a, a run at the Big 12 and, you know, maybe even the playoff. Wrong. Wrong. They just went on to finish the season three and six. <laughs> I mean, what? What in the world from three and O to three and six? I mean, wild, wild, wild finish to that season. They do have some opt outs and they're big ones, big ones. Eric Gray, the running back, he opted out. He was the third leading rusher in the conference. Their best offensive lineman, Anton Harrison, he opted out. Um, uh, Wanya Morris, another offensive lineman, he opted out. Their best defensive lineman, Jalen Redman, he opted out. Dylan Gabriel is coming back to this team next year, so they should be better offensively. Uh, I think that the biggest thing for me is they struggled in two areas this year that I thought were vital. And, and, and really, I think one of those could hurt them in this matchup against Florida State, which I'll get to in, in a moment. Their rush defense was just not good enough. They gave up almost 190 yards per game on the ground. And this is a run game for Florida State that has gotten better and better and better in the back half of the season. So that's a big worry for me. And then the other one is like, they just didn't win tight games. You know, and so to a point, like that's a thing. We talk about it with Texas all the time. These one-score games, like this is this is not great. Three and three down the stretch, all three losses were by three points apiece. So at, at some point, you've got to get better in those moments. Now you can say that they improved. Remember, if you go back to the like the three and zero start, then you see the TCU game and the Texas game, and you think panic time. Uh oh, but. In all reality, once they got Dylan Gabriel back and healthy, they played tight games. There's a world in, in which they're nine and three as well with Florida State. And it's it's you know a snap here and there. 
and we obviously would feel a lot different about Oklahoma at nine and three with three close wins in their last six uh, versus where they are now at six and six in a program that's like, well, where are they headed? Is it going to turn around? Can they get it back? This is going to be the worst year since pre-Bob Stoops, even if they win. You know, I will tell you this. I do think that there's some pressure on Brent Venables to be seven and six and not six and seven at this program. With their success over the last 20 years, you think about that, and, and that's clearly something that you've got to take into consideration. Now the Florida State angle. Look at Florida State. Really positive season for them. Started with that great win over LSU. Mike Norvell has done a pretty good job, and they have they have ascended and gotten better every single year. And this year was a bit of a crescendo. I know that they didn't you know go to the conference championship uh, or win a championship, but they're they're pretty good. You know, you look at what they were doing in the middle of the season. Granted, they only beat Florida by seven. And I don't think Florida's a great team, but. You know, they had four straight wins by over 25 points. Now, the ACC is not great. Okay, I, I understand that. I think we all understand that. But 25 is a big number. So this is a team that's getting better. Their defense is really good. One of the better, if not the best defense in, in the ACC. I think I would still probably give Clemson that nod just because of the talent. But this is a really good defense. And then they got their run game going, in particular late in the season. You look at their running back, Trey Benson. He had, what was it, like over 150, 160 total yards against Florida, scored three times. Um, he's averaging like over 130 scrimmage yards over the last five games. And he's got seven straight games as a team and helped them um, seven straight games with over 200 yards rushing. And they're going up against the defense in OU that is, what are they, ninth in the Big 12? What, eighth, ninth in the Big 12? Stopping the run. So this is a bad matchup for Oklahoma, in particular with some of their opt-outs. Um, you look at, at this Florida State team, Jordan Travis has announced he's going to be coming back. Their star on the defensive line, Jared Verse, is going to be playing in the game. Again, this is a, a team that looks like they're trying to hold on, change change their identity, you know, go through some growing pains in Oklahoma, and a team that feels like they're going to be even better next year in Florida State. So the sentiment of where the teams are headed and where they're at in their overall maturation process matters. And Florida State right now seems like a team that thinks that they can compete on the highest level next year. And I think that they're going to try to use this game to prove that. Uh, the defense needs to do a better job creating turnovers. Uh, Jordan Travis needs to do a better job becoming a more efficient passer. But those are development things that can pop up and 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 happen in bowl games, which gives you more confidence going into spring ball and then obviously into the next season. I like Florida State in this one. Uh, again, bad bad matchup. The key to the game is Florida State's run game. Jordan Travis can run the football. Trey Benson can run the football against a team that doesn't stop the run very well, regardless of opt-outs and regardless of what's, what's going on. So I like Florida State. And if you're telling a Florida State fan before the year you're going to beat LSU in week one and you're going to win 10 ball games this year and finish 10 and three, I think that they would take it. So the Mike Norvell experiment, if you want to call it that, or just the, the tenure for Mike Norvell, I think continues to go well. Give me Florida State over Oklahoma in the Cheez-It Bowl. Next up. The Alamo Bowl, number 12, Washington versus number 20, Texas. This is a tough one because, we, we you know, the, the Texas – lineup is is a bit up in the air let's start with washington washington 
quietly had one of the best years in the entire country. They were, you know, one poor performance against basically Arizona State in the seven-point loss from being almost a playoff team. They led the country throwing the football. Michael Penix transfers in under Kalen DeBoer, a former coach of his, by the way. He played under him when they were both at Indiana. Rejoins him at Washington, has a marvelous year, leads the country in passing. He's coming back for another season. The sentiment around Washington is really positive, and rightly so. We didn't talk about Kalen DeBoer a lot, and we didn't talk about Michael Penix a lot, but these are two guys that came in there and totally changed uh, that team. They went from 4-8 and eight to 10-2. and two. Everyone wants to talk about what Lincoln Riley did, and rightly so, right? USC was a four-win team, and then they turned it around and obviously had a marvelous season and finished in that Pac-12 championship game, even though they lost it. But Washington was right there as well. You know, like... This is an offense that scored 40 points per game. They throw the ball really well. And watch, when you're watching the Alamo Bowl, when Michael Penix throws in rhythm, one, it's beautiful. And two, I immediately just think big play. Big play. Like as soon as, when he hits his 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 back foot and the ball comes out and that timing is good and like, I just, there is a rhythm to their passing game that is really beautiful. And when he's in rhythm, they're incredibly tough to stop. This is a really good team. And I think Texas is in for, in for it. I just, I question the, the motivation for Texas. They're eight and four. This is the third time in four years that they've been to the Alamo Bowl. And there's going to be wild speculation about and questions about the lineup. Bijan, DeMarvion Overshone, Roshan Johnson. Um, don't expect them to play at the time that we you know, do this podcast. And if Bijan's not playing, that takes the element of the Texas Longhorns away from them. Because in the second half of the year, Quinn Ewers was not very good. And they had to and needed to and did rely on Bijan Robinson to go out and win games. He's the Doak Walker Award winner for a reason. He was the best running back in the country. There are other guys that have great had great years, but this guy's dynamic. Nobody breaks more tackles, make more makes more people miss than Bijan Robinson. He catches it well out of the backfield. The offense was Bijan centric, and, and rightly so. And so. If he's not out there, then they're going to have some some problems. Jonathan Brooks and Keelan Robinson, he'll be the they'll be the main two backs if Johnson and Bijan uh, don't play. I don't know. I mean, big moment for them. They've recruited really well, and you get the sense that this is a great time for them to kind of look and see what they've got. But that's not even the main question of this game for me. The main question for Texas in this game, the Alamo Bowl, is going to be. What does Quinn Ewers look like? Because it's not even about the matchup against Washington, but if he doesn't start playing better than what he did down the stretch, then everyone's just going to be waiting for January 9th. What happens January 9th? The spring semester starts. Guess who's going to be walking around campus? Arch Manning. That is a giant cloud over Quinn Ewers. I think we all acknowledge that. Hudson Card, he's in the portal. Um, Ewers now is sitting there with, with the, 
the shadow of Arch Manning getting larger and larger and larger. You know, that TCU game was not good for Ewers. He was 17 to 39. The Oklahoma State game was not great for Ewers. And in the last two games, they kind of avoided him and went heavy Bijan, and rightly so. He threw 21 passes and then 16 passes in the last two games. Bijan was the deal. Well, now you're not going to have Bijan or or probably not going to have Bijan. And so this is a like, what do you got, buddy? This is this is a almost almost a tryout because if it doesn't go well, the problem is I don't know if it matters how well he plays in the spring because that fan base is going to be clamoring for Arch Manning. You see, it's to me, it's not even about the coaches, even though they're the ones making the decision. It's more about the fan base. You know, if Ewers wants to retain his job next year, he's going to need to throw the ball well in the Alamo Bowl and and possibly win that game. And it's going to be very difficult because, again, Washington is a heck of a team. Washington's defense, by the way, was number one in the Pac-12 in terms of rushing defense in terms of yards per carry. Right. Not Utah, Washington. So this is a Washington team, team, folks, that. You better not look past them. They could be headed into a point where they're going to be a preseason top 10 team, even though we all hate preseason polls. Uh, 10 and 2 this year. Their quarterback coming back. Their defense played really well. Texas, huge question marks. They were 8 and 4. Their quarterback doesn't have Bijan Robinson to lean on, or likely not. And he didn't play well down the stretch. How do we not take Washington? I'm taking Washington. I don't care if the ball the ball game is in Texas. It's the third time in four years Texas has taken a, a trip to the Alamo Bowl, and and I don't know if yours is going to play all that well. I really don't. That Texas pass defense was okay this year. Maybe maybe you could say good. I would say good. They were second in the Big Twelve, but again, like that passing offense from Washington is the best in the country. This is not just like oh yeah they're pretty good. They're they're really good. Give me Washington in the Alamo Bowl, and they might win it by a couple of scores. All right, last one. The Gator Bowl, number 21, Notre Dame versus number 19, South Carolina. Any team hotter than South Carolina? Knock off Tennessee, knock off Clemson. Coming down the stretch in their last two games, Rattler was phenomenal in both of those games. Uh, Basically 400 yards per game in both of those games. Nine total touchdowns, only two interceptions. Um, And this is a program that is clearly on the rise. Everyone loved the hire of Shane Beamer. I really loved Shane when he was at Oklahoma. Um, Obviously, there's a great pedigree there. But this is a team, you know, he took over. They went 2-8 and in the COVID year. And by the way, I think that we should probably just throw, we should, in hindsight, can we throw the COVID year out? Like, it was so... You know, what what are like guys getting fired because of the COVID year? Harbaugh's on the hot seat, and then he comes out and, and back-to-back years wins the Big Ten. But anyways, I digress. South Carolina went two and eight uh, in the COVID year, and then he Beamer went uh, seven and six last year in his first year, and now eight and four. So on the rise, and then clearly playing their best football at the end, um, knocked Tennessee out of the playoff. Maybe even Clemson, the way that it all played out. You could make an argument that because of the TCU loss, because of the USC loss, 
that Clemson would have found themselves with a better argument than maybe Ohio State or even Alabama at the end if they were just a one-loss team. So you can make an argument that South Carolina knocked both Tennessee and Clemson out of the playoff. Um, so we'll see. Now, their two top leading rushers are in the portal. Uh, Marshawn Lord, Lloyd, uh, they've also got some tight ends in the portal. Uh, Jaheim Bell, Austin Stogner. Stogner, by the way, is going from OU to South Carolina and now back to OU. That's interesting. Their best corner, Cam Smith, he's declared for the draft and opted out. Starting defensive lineman, uh, Zach Pickens, he's opting out. So, you know, they've got a lot to overcome from a lineup perspective. Marcus uh, Satterfield left for Nebraska. He was the offensive coordinator. They... You know, they hired Dowell Loggins as their new OC. We'll see how that pans out. I'm not sure. Um, and then to me, it's about whether they're going to be able to run the ball or not. Because you can say that, yay, like Rattler was great in those games down the stretch. And he was. But they also ran the ball well. And and in their wins, that's what they do is they run the ball well. And their eight wins, they're eight and four. They average about 160 rushing yards per game. Uh, although they didn't run it great against Clemson. But that's all right. Um, and then their run defense was not great. Second worst in the SEC in both yards per game and uh, average uh, per carry. So we'll see how that pans out as far as the line of scrimmage. Meanwhile, Notre Dame, South Carolina against Notre Dame. Notre Dame's eight and four. And judging by the way the season started, I didn't think that they were going to get to eight and four. So in some ways, this is a positive. And in other ways, with where Brian Kelly had this program, this was a step back for Marcus Freeman. Michael Mara, the tight end, I do think he should have won the Mackey Award. You know, having said that, it's tough to say Brock Bowers isn't the best tight end in the country, but Mara is just so, so good. He and Isaiah Foskey, their best defensive player, they're going to be out. They've opted out. And the passing game ran completely through Michael Mayer. Part of the reason why they were able to run the ball successfully in the back half of the season was because of Michael Mayer, how they had to defend the tight end and the tight end group. Their quarterback who started most of the season, Drew Pine, he's in the transfer portal. We'll see if Tyler Buckner is healthy enough to come back and, and play in this game. He was the original starting quarterback, and we'll see what he's got as far as um, health for this bowl game. They did lose that game to Caleb Williams. That was the last time we saw them in USC, 38-27. And now they face another former Oklahoma uh, quarterback and, and Spencer Sanders. This run game has been great in the second half of the season, but then it sputtered in their last couple of ball games: 66 yards against Navy, 90 yards against USC. So they're going to need to improve that. They should be able to because of what I told you earlier. South Carolina's run defense is not very good. So that's where Notre Dame has to live. If they're going to have success in this game, they've got to be able to run the ball really well. Their special teams have been excellent. One of the best special teams in the entire country. They've blocked seven punts this year. That leads college football. They turned them into scores in large, in large respect. It's the reason they beat Clemson was their special teams. Last thing I would say is like, this is a good chance for Marcus Freeman to prove that he can win a game with a long layoff. His first game as a head coach last year, Oklahoma State in the bowl game, they ended up losing that one. Then he has the entire offseason to get ready for Ohio State, and they lose that one. So now he's got 
you know, a, a long time to get ready for South Carolina. They're they're both eight and four, and we'll see if he can do that. But football's still about quarterback play. I think that we can all acknowledge that there's questions about quarterbacks for Notre Dame, not for South Carolina. So give me South Carolina in this game. They were playing well. They've got the sentiment, right? Like they've got the positive momentum going for them. So I like South Carolina in this game. Even though their defense doesn't stop the run well, I don't know how efficient that offense for Notre Dame can be when they've got to figure out who their quarterback's going to be and the main cog in the entire offense, Michael Mayer, is not out there. So that's going to be too difficult for them to overcome, at least in my estimation. South Carolina, even with their two running backs opting out, they've got their quarterback, and I think that they win the game and move to 9-4. and four. All right, that's going to do it for um, that episode. Now, we've got more bowl previews coming up, so our next pod is going to drop the 29th. So be ready for that. A lot of the New Year's Six games, I'll have uh, all my breakdown of what you can expect in those games on the 29th, and then we'll come back with another um, playoff preview after that. So that'll do it for the Joel Klatt Show. Remember to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Joel Klatt. You can follow us here at the show, at Joel Klatt Show. We very much appreciate you being a part of this. Please share it with a friend and uh, hit me up on social media and we can uh, extend this conversation there as well. Thank you for, for listening and watching, those of you watching, and I hope you have a great holiday season.